rest of us are going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning as we continue uh, looking at the book of Luke. And one of the most uh, famous uh, stories in all the Bible is our passage today in Luke 15. Bill Adams, the CEO of a large hospital in Virginia, received a frantic call from a woman uh, who had just lost her mother a few days ago. And uh, she said, my mother came to your hospital and she died as a result of cancer. She had her wedding ring and we can't find it. She made an appointment to explain the situation and when she came to Bill's office, she told the story uh, about her mother and she and her um, dad had been married uh, 50 years. They were a loving couple and caring parents. And her dad had just said the day before, if I could only put her wedding ring on one more time before we bury her. And, uh, and then she said, Mr. Adams, can you help us? Bill was deeply moved by the story, said that he would look into it, and that he would do what he could to find it. So he checked the ward and the room where the woman had died. He talked to the staff, and uh, they began to search. And the staff said that she had lost so much weight because of the cancer that the ring likely had fallen off. So they searched the hospital floor, and they searched uh, the room and, and got down on the floor and they looked under the bed and they looked into the bathroom and there was no luck. So Bill went to his office after that and he was pretty disappointed um, with the whole thing. And as he was sitting in his office, he got this idea and he went down to the basement, found the laundry chute and a huge laundry bin and he climbed in with the wet and soggy dirty laundry and he groped around for a while and he found it and he said uh, later I will never forget the look on that woman's face and on her father's face when I handed them the ring something was lost there was a search for it something was found and it brought great joy. That's a story that Jesus would have liked. Today, I've called this the parable of the two sons. It's because I always try to change something that has a long history of the same name. It's often called the parable of the prodigal son. So I'm calling it the parable of two sons. There were two sons, and uh, both of them are important to our story. R.C. Trench, an old-time scholar, said uh, the parable of two sons, the parable of the prodigal, is the pearl and crown of all the parables. Something uh, gets lost, someone gets lost, someone gets found, and it brings great joy. So let's get started. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin at verse uh, 11 today. And um, I'm going to read the first part. Luke chapter 15. Jesus continued, 
Remember, he had started this in verse 1. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. And we'll look at the rest of that in just a minute. But first, let's, uh, let's look at the first son, the selfish, entitled son. Um, and let me remind us of the context. Uh, if you were here last week, this uh, seems pretty clear maybe, but let me remind you of the context. And if you were not here, see if this helps, okay? Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, this was how the chapter got started. And this is the context where Jesus ended up telling three stories. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Remember, the tax collectors were those, uh, often they were Jewish people, Jewish men, that uh, were paid by the Romans to collect really an unfair, uh, exorbitant tax. And the way they made their money was charging more than Rome required. And that's how, that was their salary. And so some of them really charged high prices. And they were kind of disliked by a lot of people. And sinners, and that's just a way to talk about people who were far from God and irreligious and didn't care about the Jewish faith in Israel. But the Pharisees, this is the second group. The first group is the tax collectors and the sinners. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the Jewish religious clergy of the first century, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Can you believe that? Remember that eating, that fellowship together was kind of an intimate kind of thing. It was viewed that way. And you were very careful about who you hung out with, at least in the first century, if you were a Jewish person. And they didn't want to mix it up. And because of Jesus' behavior, and because they saw Jesus be with people like this, they didn't like him. They didn't like the way he handled himself. They were sure that he couldn't truly be from God. And then after that, we talk, last week we talked about the lost sheep story, verses 3 through 7. And so to make a point in response to this, how the tax collector, how the Pharisees and teachers were sort of muttering in the background, Jesus taught three little stories to make the point. If a man had a hundred sheep and he lost one, it would be normal just to leave the, the 99 and go find the one. Search for this lost one until you find it. And then when he does, he throws a party. He's happy. He rejoices. This is, a good, this is good news. 
And if you remember, the, don't worry about that. The point of the story back in verse 7 is, um, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That was the point of his story. Heaven rejoices when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Heaven cares about lost people, people far from God, people like tax collectors and sinners. That was his point. And then he told another story, the story of the lost sheep, verses 3 through 7. And, um, excuse me, it's verses... 10, 8 through 10, and it's the story of the lost coin. Ten silver coins, the woman loses one. She sweeps her house, cleans everything until she finds the one, and then she rejoices. After she searches carefully, she finds it, and she throws a party. And again, the point is in verse 10, in the same way I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinners who repent. So that's the background to this story in Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. In verse 11, we see the self-focus request. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. So there's three players in this story, two sons, one dad, okay? Verse 12, the selfish entitled son, that is the younger one, said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me what you owe me. Give me what I'm entitled to. So apparently the, the dad is well-to-do enough that he has an estate, and he has servants. And the custom of the day from Deuteronomy 21, 17 was when the father dies, the normal thing would be the oldest son uh, would get two-thirds of the state, and if there was a younger son, the younger son could get one-third of the estate. And so this younger son is wanting his share right now. Um, he's impatient. He's tired of doing things dad's way. And in fact, he can't wait for dad to die, literally. So he wants his fair share, and he wants it now. You think that might be a bit of inconvenience for dad. Now, likely to solve this, dad would have to sell some pretty significant property to come up with one-third of the, the state. But notice what it says. He divided the property between them. That's what the dad did. Now, you know, this, this is a story, and it's given to teach a point. There's going to be a few people who will get stuck right here and say, dad should have never done that. That's not uh, the point. Um, this is a parable, by the way. It's not an allegory. An allegory takes all the details, and then it has a sort of a some kind of point to the whole thing, some kind of detail that fits into an abstract concept. Not so with the parable. Parable usually has one big idea. This parable actually has a couple of more than just one. But not every detail in a parable is supposed to be turned into some great spiritual truth. So don't worry about the details about the dad. You might have done it differently. Good for you. But, but in this story, the dad just went and did it. He divided it up between the two sons. 
And very quickly, verse 13, we kind of see what was motivating this. Um, not long after that, verse 13, the younger son got together all he had. So after dad sells a third of the estate, that probably may have taken a little time, he gets together his cash. I don't know how he carried it all. Um, he just wanted to get out of town. He wanted to get far away. He wanted to get away from his family, away from this lifestyle. Um, he, he had worked on his dad's place, and he thought, what would it be like to be somewhere else and be a person of means and enjoy life? So he set off for a distant country, distant he wants to get out of town. He wants to get away from dad. He doesn't want dad following him. And um, very quickly, he squandered his wealth in wild living. He made some really poor choices. We don't know how long this would take. Jesus is just telling us a story to under, so that we get it. By the way, the audience, they get this. There were people enjoying this story, and there were people angry at this story. Um, so he, he set off for a distant country. So he gets out of the land of Israel, and, he, and is probably moving east. And um, this would be Gentile territory, non-Jewish. Whole different lifestyle, whole different set of customs and laws there. Um, the prodigal did not want to be around religious people, especially Jewish religious people. So he squandered his money. He just wanted to enjoy himself. He managed poorly. Uh, he didn't invest it. He didn't have a plan. He just wanted to live in a way that made him happy. He was irresponsible, and he pursued life outside the lines with no plan but to spend money and to have a party life. So he totally burns up one-third of his father's estate. And that's, that's the whole story of the prodigal right there. He is a prodigal at that point in verse 13. It's the only mention of a prodigal lifestyle other than later as a criticism. The humble reversal, verses 14 through 16, and it happens. He runs out of money, and now there's going to be an economic crisis. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. That's what happens without a plan B. Something happens beyond your control, and here he is, totally broke, and he is in big need, and he had friends when he had money, and he had friends who liked him when he could take care of them, but he is broke, and now he doesn't have anybody who cares. Verse 15, so he's going to take uh, some action here. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. And, you know, that's pretty humor humorous if you know anything about the first century culture because the Jewish people... Uh, according to the law, were not to be around pigs. They weren't to have pigs, they weren't to touch pigs, and they weren't to eat pork. And there was a reason for that back in those days. 
and no longer uh, part of uh, God's plan. But uh, pigs were not to be raised in the land of Israel, but there were some. And so he has to go to work. He has to get hired. He has to take the lowliest, most humiliating job that uh, he could have had. And verse 16 says, he got so low, so humiliated, so hungry. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. We don't know what he did for food. We don't know if he got some kind of ration where he worked, probably got something, but it wasn't enough. That's the point here. There's a famine. There's a shortage of lots of things, and this guy's going hungry. Nobody cares about him. Nobody wants to help him. Um, But he gets so hungry, he thinks about, I wish I could eat the pig's food. Verse 17 through 20, he comes to uh, careful reflection. This is good. Sometimes people get to this place where bad things happen, difficult things in their life, and they come to a point where they need to reflect and maybe make some adjustments. And that's what he did here. When he came to his senses, verse 17, you know, he used to dream about leaving his father's place, how great it would be on the other side. You know, the grass is greener over there. He wanted to get far away from this place and enjoy his life. It didn't work. And now he thinks about home. Wasn't so bad there, was it? What was it like there? As he reflects, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. That was true. His father provided for his employees. His father took care of them. Way better than the life he had right now. Verse 18, he comes up with a plan. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He is in so much emotional pain. Now, you know, sometimes people come up with ideas or plans because they, they want to manipulate the situation and get the results they want. We sense here, this is true reflection and an honest evaluation, and he wants to go back to dad. He's willing to humble himself to go back and say he was wrong. Um, and he says, he has this plan. He's thinking, he over, he's thinking this over in his mind. Um, I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And that's a way to talk about sinning against God. Remember, because they, they were careful about using God, heaven. Because heaven is where God is. And so he would, he would uh, confess that he had sinned against heaven. He had sinned against God. And he also would confess to his dad that he had sinned against him. He had dishonored his own father. He had uh, disrespected his father. He'd been selfish with his father. He took resources that he didn't need to take at this time from his father. 
and uh, he had squandered them. Now there's nothing to show for. Likely, there's a lot of other things in his mind that he did regarding his father as far as criticism. So he rehearses his thoughts. He plans his words carefully. And verse 19, uh, his plan continues, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And you know what? That's true. He did not behave like a son. And then verse 20, he did something. He got up and he went to his father. He put some action to his plan. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is to get up and take the first step. You know, he could sit and think about it. He could sit and be depressed. He can, um, you know, just lay around. Probably didn't have enough money now to buy alcohol. And so um, he has to do something. He takes action. And now we meet... uh, the most important person in the story, the gracious, loving father, beginning in verses 20 through 24. And this is the surprise of the story. Um, Now, most of you know this already, but this was a surprise for the audience, for all of the audience. Verse 20, the welcome reception. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The father was looking out for him. The father could see that he was coming. He recognized his son. And one of the interesting things here, he was moved with compassion for his son. He loved his son. He wanted the best for his son. And notice what he did next. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And by the way, Older men don't run that often. Some of us can't. But in his culture, it was kind of unheard of. It was not dignified for an older man to run like this. And then you have the son who's been disobedient and dishonored him. But the father pursues the son. The son made that step to come back. And now the father comes forward. To meet his son. And we see the humble confession in verse 21. They, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he doesn't get to even go further because he gets stopped by his father. The son is truly humble. He, he acknowledges sin before God. He acknowledges sin before his father. He recognizes that he is not worthy He thought it was like way important. Now he recognizes he's not so worthy. His sin had separated him from his father. When you think about that, far from his father. Verses 22 through 24, there's a joyful celebration. Now, please notice here, the father does not say to his son, you were a jerk. You did the most stupid thing I have ever seen. You totally wasted our money. What were you thinking? He doesn't say, get out of my house and don't return. 
Some people would be tempted to say that, those kinds of words. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The father orders a celebration. This is a joyful occasion as the father sees it. Uh, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And that symbolized the restoration to the family. The robe was for the honored guest. And you know, dad has, we don't know if the guy has taken a bath yet. We, we assume that might have happened in their culture and it was going to take some time to do all of this. But father ran out there and put his arms around and kissed him and probably smelled like pigs. Um, the ring was uh, probably a family signet ring. It gave authority to the family members to do things in the name of the family, purchase in the name of the family, make decisions in the name of the family. He was being recognized and restored to his family. The sandals acknowledged that he was a free man, that he was not a slave or an indentured servant who might go barefoot. And Dad said, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. That's what dad wanted to do. He wanted to have a party. The fatted calf was for a special occasion. And this is a special occasion. And now it's time to celebrate. Verse 24 is the key. This son of mine was dead. The younger son was dead to his father, but now he's alive again. He's back in relationship with his father. He was lost to his father, but now he's found again, and now is the time to celebrate. Uh, someone who was lost to the father is now someone who is found to his father. However, there are two, two sons, and we've got to come back to the second son, um, verses 25 through 32. And this is the self-righteous, entitled son. If you think I'm too harsh, let's walk through the passage. Sometimes this is the most overlooked part of the story. And we have an angry response in verse uh, 25 through 29. Look at 25. Meanwhile, the older son was still in the field. He was out there working. He was the faithful one. He was the hard worker. And when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. The older son's out there supporting the family business. He was out there all of this time as far as working regularly, daily, to support the family business. Now, we don't know if he was out all day and came back at night and there was a party or if he was out a couple of days and he came back and there was a party. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And the servant said, it's a party, silly. Nope. He said, your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. How do you think that sunk in to the older brother? Whoa, what? My brother, the one who left us, he left me to do the work? No way. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. The more he thought about it, the angrier he got. I'm not going to the party. 
He, I'll show them kind of attitude. He's not going to celebrate. There should be discipline, not celebration, because he understands justice, right? Notice what happens next. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Father has two sons. You know what? He loves them both. And he's going to go out to meet his son. His son who is angry at the celebration. He takes steps toward him. He wants to, to uh, bring his older son into an understanding and bring him into the party so that he can celebrate as well. But he, the older son, answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. We see a little bit of his attitude, don't we? This is what he thought of his dad. It isn't an honor for me to be in this family and to work for you and to work with you and to be a part of this and to have all these blessings in my life. I've been slaving for you. You are a taskmaster. Um, I don't like this. It was drudging, drudgery for him to serve his father. And he wants uh, credit. Notice this. He says, uh, all these years I've been slaving for you, I've never dis disobeyed your orders. He wants credit for perfect obedience. And, he's, and worst of all, you never gave a party for me. Why are you doing a party now? I've been here all the time. I've been faithful. Look what I've done. I've been good. I've done the right things the right way. You never threw a party for me. It's not fair. I don't want to be involved. It's just not fair. Sounds like brothers, doesn't it? And then the ungrateful complaint in verse 30. But when this son of yours, you can hear it in his words. It's not my brother. It's this son of yours. It's your fault because he's your son. He squandered your property with prostitutes. He comes home. Now, we don't know if he, we don't have the information that he squandered the money with prostitutes. I wouldn't be surprised if he did, but whether they had reports about the son, we don't know. He said, he comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him. Dad, you are irrational. I don't like the way you do things. It's not fair. It doesn't make sense to me. He's your problem. Verse 31 through 32, we see the loving response. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That doesn't seem like a really great thing to him right off. Because that's the way it's always been. The oldest son has been given two-thirds of the estate. The father has always provided for him. The father always will provide for him. He has everything he needs. Apparently, not everything he wants. Verse 32, the father says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. The father had to celebrate. There is a time when love and grace overcome justice. 
We get really confused about that sometimes. So what's this story about? Um, so let's just be reminded about the context of the three stories. Luke 15, 1 and 2, um, Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors, and it made uh, the religious leaders upset because he ate with them. There was an assumption in the first century. This, the assumption was God hates sinners. God hates sinners. There you go. Um, this is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law believed. Um, this is why they hated sinners and tax collectors. And this is why they didn't get Jesus. Why would Jesus, if he is such a holy person, if he's a man of God, a man from God, why in the world would he hang out with irreligious people? And the point of this story is that God loves sinners. God loves people. He loves all people. He loves religious people and irreligious people, and he has a way for them to come into a relationship uh, with him and a way to walk with him and to live with him one day at a time. God loves sinners. He loves people. And the, the point of each story, Luke 15, 10, in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, and there was rejoicing when the prodigal came home to his father because it illustrated when a sinner turns to God and places his faith in Christ. God loves people and he celebrated the day you put your faith in Christ and he loves you. In the story, the selfish son represents the sinners and the tax collectors the uh, audience would have easily got this, especially the sinners and the tax collectors. They would have laughed. They would have loved this. They would have been poking each other. Um, they are lost. God is searching. Some of them are found. Um, just like the prodigal was reinstated with his father. And the audience got that. That was a welcoming story. It probably gave some hope. It probably caused some to step back and think and to reflect. Maybe I should consider Jesus. The loving Father represents the Heavenly Father. He loves people. He desires all people to be in a loving relationship with Him. But you know what? He never forces people to come to Him. He has given people a free will, and people can go do whatever they want, and they do. And some people get uh, really far from God. And, you know, just like the youngest son, he, he thought about it, he reflected, and he wanted out of there. He didn't want any part of that kind of life, and so he, he left, and... He just did whatever 
came naturally, whatever felt right, whatever felt good. And we see in the story how God is patient with people. But each person needs to take steps for themselves, steps toward God. The third person, the self-righteous son, represents the scribes and the Pharisees. This story was for the Jewish religious leaders. This is the one who really needed to hear this story. They were judgmental. They were critical of Jesus and the people who didn't try to live like them. They thought that they were better than others. They thought God loved only them, and they were full of pride. They were hypocrites. So the great thing about this parable, the reason this is such a beautiful story is because the applications are many. Which person in the story describes you? Which, which one? You're not in the story? Let's see. Okay, here's another question. Are you living a self-focused life without needing God? This is what the younger son did. This is what he lived out. These were his, this is the initial part of his story. The, the original parable was about how God views conversion, about somebody who did not have a relationship with God, who came into a relationship with God and was forgiven. They, and uh, the way we would talk about it today is that somebody uh, placed their faith in Christ and was saved from the penalty of their sin. That was the original uh, application to this story, how God views an unbeliever coming to faith. And this is the primary application, but the beauty of Jesus' stories, and especially this one, there can be many applications. For example, sometimes believers live as if God doesn't exist. And sometimes they drift far away from God. Like that prodigal got away from his father. And that can apply to you. When you live as if well, I don't think about God a lot. I don't need his word. I don't have time to pray. I forget to thank him for what he's given me and what he's provided for me. And I have a lot of decisions to make. And Christians just don't understand what, the, what I face. Sometimes Christians can live as if God doesn't matter. Sometimes Rather than pursuing his kingdom, they're all about their own world and their own kingdom. Is that you? Is that you? Or are you loving people, reaching out to the not yet Christian and rejoicing when someone turns to God? That's the father in the story. He's loving. He's gracious. He's, he wants to move out to connect with both of his sons. Uh, this is how Jesus himself lived. He loved people. He loved the tax collectors and the sinners and the partiers and the prostitutes and people far from God. He loved them, and he reached out to them. And when one of those 
came to faith, it was time for a party. It was time to rejoice. That's what Jesus was like. And he wants us to follow him. And he wants us to embrace his lifestyle. And maybe do you need to align your heart, realign your heart with his? Bring it back into a focus to be more like him. Third uh, application question here. Are you caught up in doing things right that you are, you're so caught up in doing things right that you are prideful, unforgiving, or hypocritical? Because sometimes doing good things, sometimes uh, doing right things. I have been tempted with this. I have been tempted to think like a Pharisee before. Um, sometimes people begin to think that they're more valuable than other people because they do the right things or have made good choices. It causes some people to think that they're better than others because they keep the rules. It causes people to be prideful and just like the first century religious leaders. And we come back again with the same question. Do you need to realign your heart with Jesus? Do you need to have a reality check? Because, you know, maybe you're not quite like the big brother, but it's easy to just slide a little bit, becoming a little bit prideful, beginning to think I'm just a little more worthy than some other Christians or some other people, and we just forget. So as we close, let's all stand, and I just would like to pray and um, think about how God would want you to respond to this story. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the story of the two sons, the story of the prodigal son, the story of the loving father. And um, we, we learn a lot, God, about you and be reminded about your love and your gracious attitude toward us. We don't deserve it. It's easy for us to get caught up in pursuing our self-focused life. It's easy for us sometimes to become prideful, and uh, you want us to be humble. And uh, Father, for uh, anyone here who um, is not sure about their relationship with you, has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, I, I pray, God, that they would continue to search and find the answers and not give up. May your Holy Spirit uh, just direct us this morning to respond to you, to be humble before you. If there is sin to be acknowledged, that we would do that. That we would seek to offer ourselves back to you as a living sacrifice, to honor you, to be pleasing to you. That we would seek to be empowered by your Holy Spirit so that we would have the strength and the courage and the wisdom to walk with you one day at a time. In Jesus' name, amen.